Welcome to Grace Church of Orange. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. Thank you so much for joining this live stream worship service. We are going to worship the Lord with all our hearts, pray dependently, and hear the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Welcome to Grace Church. We're glad to be here this morning. Uh, we're glad for the warmth of the sun, the breeze that comes through the tent. We're really glad that we get to worship and hear the word of God. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. Our theme this year, if you haven't caught on yet, is Under the Sun. You can find out more on the card on your seat. Um, and if you're New, uh, we'd love to welcome you back at the, the Welcome Center there. One of our staff or elders uh, would love to meet you, uh, tell you more about what's going on at Grace. You can also see on your seat, there is a lot going on this summer. Um, we're glad for that. There's some weekly events on one side uh, and some uh, events that will be one-time things going on throughout the summer. Make sure you check out that card. You can scan, uh, scan it pull up the website, uh, you'll be able to see the dates and details of, of different things going on this summer. As well, you can see our, our children's ministries and classes going on. I like to highlight the fact that we have Anclados, our Spanish ministry, because my name is James and I get to work with our, our Spanish ministry. Anclados is now meeting, uh, our service in Spanish is now meeting at 11 o'clock uh, in the sanctuary. Um, and so if you know others who are, are looking for a, a solid Bible preaching Spanish church, uh, as that's their first language, uh, we'd love to have them as a part of it, so feel free to invite them out to that. Uh, we are doing uh, our bread and cup. We'll enjoy communion here together today. Uh, and I do want to mention as well, Grace, uh, we are under the tent until June, but that first week of June, uh, as we've announced the past few weeks, we're planning on moving inside the sanctuary and, and doing some things in there uh, and looking forward to, to, to moving back inside. If you guys would stand with us, we're going to read from Psalm 136 this morning.
Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that you let us come to you today with praise and worship. We want you to be glorified, Father, and, and even in our ability to glorify you, God, our ability to listen, our ability to learn, our ability to praise, we are dependent completely on you. Help us realize that and live out that truth here this morning for your glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing if you're able as we open singing together this morning.
If you'd remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. This morning, we'll read from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a, had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Verse 3, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You may be seated. This morning... Uh, as we go into prayer, uh, we'll remember the Ofut family, Ted and Kayleen, as they serve with Encompass, supporting missionaries uh, around the world. Yeah. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God Almighty, Lord, this morning as we read Psalm 136, we read that you are the Lord of lords and God of gods. There is none who is like you. We thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. God, you speak and things come into existence. You know all that has happened, all that is happening at this moment, all that will happen. When we see you for who you are, God, we more rightly see ourselves for who we are. God, you sustain the sun and the stars that surpass our comprehension, and you know even if a hair falls from our head. Thank you for considering us. God, thank you that, that you would demonstrate your love for us when we wanted nothing to do with you. God, our sin incurred a debt that we could not pay. Our desires revealed hearts that loved ourselves. We love our own glory. We love our own gain. At times, God, we've loved money. God, thank you that Christ would pay our debt so as to be both just and the justifier. God, this speaks of your compassion and your mercy, your everlasting love and grace. 
thank you for life and defining life and revealing in your word that life, what, what it is and what it should be. Thank you for relationships that you give us, family, friends. God, thank you for the church, that you haven't left us alone. Thank you that, that Christ walks alongside of us, and thank you that we have brothers and sisters who walk alongside us as well. Thank you for making us a body, a family, and a temple for your glory. Father, help us to see, help us to see just how needy we are, how dependent we are, how utterly helpless without you we are. Help us to rightly see our own weaknesses and abilities and, and run to you in prayer and plead for your presence and your provision. God, help our brothers who, who across the world are, are under persecution. God, we are, we're, we're told to remember them. And God, we, we can become apathetic in, in comfort and ease. And God, we want to remember that, that there are those who are paying the ultimate price. God, comfort them. Give them peace. God, protect their families. God, protect them ultimately with, with your presence. Let them know that you walk alongside them. And God, as they understand your sufferings even more deeply, uh, God, we, we pray that, that you would strengthen them. God, help the missionaries we support today. Uh, we think of Ted and Kayleen who serve with Encompass um, and help support missionaries across, across the globe. Give them grace and, and mercy. Give them wisdom in how to serve and, and, and help missionaries who seek to, to take your word out. God, you are worthy uh, of our attention. God, your word is worthy of our study. Give us understanding as we hear the preaching this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
together and worship Christ. Thank you for all that Jesus has done for us on the cross and redeeming us from sin and giving us the hope of eternal life with you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We pray that as we hear from Scripture that you would help us to receive and be able to live in accordance with the truth that you would have us take away today. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the blessing that it is to gather this morning. We ask that you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. I think I know pretty much everyone here. Maybe a few of you I haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Mark Holbrook. I'm privileged to serve with elders on, in this church. And Pastor Mike uh, gets a much-deserved day off, and he asked me to step in today. I'm happy to do. Um, we're going to be looking at a passage that's a little bit enigmatic. It's uh, hard to understand, and uh, you probably haven't heard a lot of sermons on it, but it's one that's really instructive for us. Um, ever since the, the fall, you know, there's, there's been stealing and, and thievery and embezzlement and larceny and all manner of taking of things that don't belong to us. Uh, maybe you've heard of somebody who was particularly good at stealing things, of, of embezzling things. Um, and it's really strange in our culture uh, and maybe in other cultures where um, somehow uh, we make heroes of, of thieves if they're really, really good at being a thief. Now, all kinds of movies have been made, dozens if not hundreds of movies have been made that celebrate the success of particularly efficient, effective, creative criminals. But I think we all understand that in real life, um, we try to do something like that, and we end up losing our jobs in, in a big hurry. Uh, I, I read this just this last week of a guy that lived right here in Orange that over a period of years stole, you ready for this, $36 million from his company. Now, he had to be really creative to pull that off, or his, or his bosses were asleep, I'm not sure which, but he was actually convicted. I don't know how he did it, but I know he was good at it. So the parable that we're going to be looking at today uh, makes it clear that uh, the consequences of stealing from our companies, especially from our bosses, uh, was pretty much the same 2,000 years ago as it is uh, today. But what we're going to be looking at is that kind of story, but with a real twist. There's this dishonest manager who embezzles money from the owner of the company. He gets caught, he's fired, and then he finds a creative way to steal even more. So, uh, and then... The owner's response to this two-time thief uh, is at first take really confusing. It's shocking. He praises him for his shrewdness. And what's more puzzling is that Jesus then uh, uses this story to teach some very important lessons about our own stewardship of the things that God has entrusted to us. No wonder uh, one pastor called this the strangest of parables. And in some ways, I think it is. So let's just dive in and see what it has for us today. So beginning in verse 1, it says, And he also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. <clears throat> so first thing we have to set this up, there's a wealthy business owner. And he gets word that his number one guy that he'd put in charge of everything was stealing from him. They was wasting his possessions. The, the context of the story suggests the manager was undoubtedly guilty. And, but we're not told any details of this crime. Now, we heard a lot about the next one, but this crime, we don't, we don't hear any details, and it's not particularly important to the story. We only know that he was wasting the rich man's possession. And this 
this word wasting here is the same word that's translated squandering uh, in the parable of the uh, prodigal son, the wayward sons, that we found in the previous chapter, chapter 15. So in this story, the manager was manipulating his boss's resources for his personal gain. He was squandering them. And in fact, he was probably really good at doing this, had been doing it for some time, maybe skimming off the top or soliciting bribes from his boss's customers. But the whole thing, it was all about him. It's all about getting his hands on his boss's money that, didn't, that he didn't deserve. And so we find in verse 2, the consequences come down on him pretty quickly. It says, and he called him, that is the rich man, called his manager to him and said, well, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. Now, I, I don't know uh, how the rich man actually became rich. Maybe he inherited, he inherited it, but he wasn't very smart as a boss, especially uh, when it came to human resource issues. He doesn't fire the manager. Uh, he doesn't even put him on paid administrative leave. He just, he just says, I, uh, it's like pretty much like saying, um, I know you've been stealing from me, but go ahead and hang around a while longer in case you, you want to rip me off some more. That's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? Uh, turn in your account of your management. Well, why did he do that? Because uh, uh, it doesn't make any sense, but he did. So immediately the manager figures, uh, I'm going to get fired. I'm not fired yet. Maybe the boss is doing a further investigation. But um, when, he finds out that, uh, when he finds out that he's been found out, the first thing he does is this, this self-assessment. Kind of like uh, the, the professional pickpocket in Fagin, if you remember in the movie Oliver, he says, I'm considering the situation. That's exactly what the, this guy decided he needed to do. He starts talking to himself. So we find in verse 3, it says, The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's, he's figuring this out in a hurry. And, uh, he's a shrewd guy. We already know that. So the, he's probably never worked a day in his life, certainly not with his hands, uh, let alone... Uh, digging ditches. Now, some of you younger men here may have worked for me in my home a few times uh, over the years, and uh, we dug a lot of ditches, didn't we? And we called that character building, and that's exactly what it was. And uh, this this manager, he never he never showed up in my house. I'll guarantee you that uh, he didn't he didn't build a whole lot of character. So he says, "I'm not strong enough to dig." Uh, and again, he's never done manual labor, and he, he wasn't about to start now, and he probably, been doing this for a while, wasn't in good enough shape to dig anyway. He's not about to do manual labor. And then he said, and this is kind of a sad case of, uh, of, of false pride, there was no way that he's going to ask for anybody to help him out. Um, he wasn't about to ask for a handout. Um, he, he says, I'm ashamed to beg. Um, he, he, he might accept a payback, but a handout, never. So he comes up with this, this plan, uh, a rather clever plan, uh, that he would steal even more from his boss, and in the process, he would secure the obligation of others, and they would receive him into their homes. Now, it really wasn't all that clever, but in his mind, it was pretty clever. And there is an element of this that is really interesting. Uh, and starting in verse 4, he says, I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, 
take your bill and write 80. Now, this is at the heart of the manager's astute dishonesty. You'll notice here, first of all, that um, he, he, uh, he calls his master's debtors one by one. He has a whole list of, of debtors, a whole list of people that he can, that he can uh, do his dastardly deed with. So he, we only have a record of the, of the first two. But uh, he carefully chooses who he would obligate to himself by discounting money owed to his boss. And this is pretty interesting. I think there's three, at least three things, or shrewd elements that, uh, to this master's dishonesty that we want to pay attention to. Um, we're learning from a dishonest manager this morning. First, he knew which of his boss's customers would go along with his plan, uh, even though they knew, they surely knew what he was doing. So he knew who would join with him in his larceny. They most likely had been co-conspirators uh, conspirators for a long time. They were probably skimming a little here and there, but they were about to graduate to the big leagues. The second thing we know is they chose customers who owed a lot of money. Um, 100 measures of oil was about three years' wages for a common laborer. This was not a small amount of money at all. And the 100 measures of wheat, about eight to 10 years' wages. So these are some big bucks. And so he takes his long-standing thievery to a new level. And since he's losing his job, he doesn't even try to hide it. The third thing we know um, is that he knew just how much it would take to buy them off so that they would receive them, receive him into their homes, that they would help him after he was in the street. Um, now, you ever wonder, why, why did he give a discount of 50% to the first guy that, that owed all this oil and 20% to the next guy that uh, discount, the next guy that he owed uh, all this wheat? Well, um, I assure you, um, the reasons for this is that he knew how much it would take to, to buy them off. Um, one guy would took a 50% discount, the other guy only a 20%. It didn't take as much to buy him off. Um, it, now, let's be clear. It's not because this dishonest manager was trying to limit his boss's losses. Rather, he was just too good of a thief to give any more t discount than he had to. He was an efficient thief, as it were. So uh, let's be clear, the Bible condemns all manner of stealing, whether directly or indirectly. We understand that, whether it's, with, whether it's uh, charging exorbitant interest on loan or withholding money that's due someone else. Uh, James 5 comes to mind. It says uh, in verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So then, why would the master, the boss, the owner of the company, commend the dishonest manager? Um, it doesn't even seem to make any sense at all. He not only, the, the dishonest manager not only stole from him once, but he proceeded to creatively, astutely, if it were, as you were, if it were, to steal from him again. Now, I, I think the most likely uh, ex explanation is that his boss had probably acquired his own wealth through dishonest dealings. So, um, uh, you've, you've heard uh, the phrase, uh, honor among thieves, and it takes one to know one. Well, that's exactly what we find going on here. We're surrounded by 
by thieves here. Um, they, they have um, the manager who offered the bribes. We have the customers who accepted the bribes. We have the business owner who was getting ripped off. So the owner knew a crook when he saw one, and based on his own value system, he had to admire a fellow thief's outrageous resourcefulness. He praised him for his shrewdness. And I, I think, now I'm going to paraphrase, so I'm taking a little liberty here, uh, but I, hopefully we can get the idea. It, it might have sounded something like, boy, what a fool I was to let you stay around even a day. You did a better job stealing from me after I fired you than you did before. So most likely the crooked boss recognized a really good thief when he saw one. So now we're, we're done with the parable. That, that's the end of it, right in the middle of verse 8. And now Jesus turns and begins to make the application. Why did he tell this story that seems so strange and antithetical to what our values and what the Bible teaches? Well, first is, he points out a really sad fact in verse 8, beginning in the second, the second part of it. He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So what he's saying is that the sons of this world are unbelievers, we understand that, and the sons of light are, are believers. It's pretty straightforward. And Jesus is saying unbelievers are more resourceful, they're more astute in securing their earthly futures than are believers in making investments in eternal, God-pleasing things. To put it uh, is shortly, that evil people are better at doing evil than righteous people are at doing righteous things, and that ought not to be. Ought not to be. We're the, we're the people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. We have direct access to the very throne of God to ask Him for wisdom. How can this be? And Jesus makes clear what our standard ought to be as believers. He says in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 19, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this is all about where we're putting our treasures, where our heart is to start with, where our treasure is, and where we want to lay up those treasures here on earth or in heaven. And in particular, Jesus is saying, in laying up, treasures in heaven, we need to be effective, we need to be efficient, we need to be resourceful, we need to be thoughtful, we need to be astute. It's really a call for that. So I think we all know where the manager's heart was. He was a lover of money, the root of all sorts of evil. Jesus is saying, again, not only lay up for yourselves those things that matter for eternity in heaven, but do so wisely. He then gives us an example of how we're to do this. And I think this is the most important example to not only lay up treasures in heaven, but the most important way, find creative ways for people to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a shining light so that they might see our good works and so glorify our Father who is in heaven. We got to be a people that by our very lives and in particularly how we manage the resources that God has entrusted to us, whether a very little or a whole lot, do we do it in a manner that brings glory to God? Do we do it in a way that people see our winsome use of resources that God has entrusted to us and they hear the gospel and are receptive to the gospel as a result? Look at verse 9. I tell you, 
make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, who is going to be in eternal dwellings? Only believers. So Jesus is saying again, make friends for yourselves. Use your money in such a way that you take this unrighteous wealth, this worldly wealth, and when it fails, which it will do 100% of the time, those that go before you that receive the gospel, hear the gospel, will greet you in heaven. So making friends by means of our earthly resources is all about utilizing what God has entrusted to us here on earth to accomplish what matters in heaven. In this case, again, being introduced, when we come into heaven, to be introduced to those people that came to faith in Christ because we were faithful in the use of our resources. And I'll tell you, I suspect that we're going to be amazed at the people who have come to faith in Christ because we've had some small part of using our resources wisely that we never even knew that person came to faith in Christ. We don't have to know. We just want to be faithful. We're going to sow, and God is the one who's going to provide the increase. And by the way, there's some really interesting symmetry here. Uh, The dishonest manager cut a deal with his co-conspirators so that they would receive them into their earthly homes um, when he's on the street. Now, Jesus is saying, well, no, Christians are to wisely use their material resources so that others might hear and receive the gospel in Christ and thus welcome us into their heavenly homes. That's an amazing thing. Which home do you want to be greeted in? So we find here the call for the shrewdness. We find the purpose of wealth. And now we come to this faithfulness principle in verse 10. It says, one who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little thing is also dishonest in much. I think the principle here is pretty straightforward. The way we manage seemingly little things in life will be the, will be the way that uh, we handle bigger things that come our way. I think as parents, we've all taught our kids, you need to be you need to be diligent now. You need, to be, you need to be honest now. You need to be faithful now because when you get older, you're going to be the same way. We teach our kids that, and we should because it's the absolute truth. Um, and that's exactly why most companies, by the way, on this little thing, big thing, it's why most companies don't tolerate what seems to be even petty thievery, uh, like falsifying a time card. Uh, the, the entire context of this passage suggests the little things that Jesus had in mind in particular are the material things entrusted to us, especially money. Now, one of the biggest lies I think we sometimes tell ourselves, and I think we all fall into this trap on occasion, is that we can cut corners now, but we will turn it around when it really counts. Now, as my mother would say, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, Jesus is saying we need to be faithful now. Look at verse 11. If you've not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? As we've seen in verse 9, the little thing we're talking about, this unrighteous wealth, this earthly wealth, this money, it's not evil in itself, but Loving wealth leads to all kinds of evil. But the true riches, it's the true riches in this verse. Who will entrust to you the true riches that should really grab our attention? 
using money and material things for kingdom purposes, for things that matter to God is what he's really getting at here. True riches are those things that bring honor to the Lord for all of eternity. True riches are those things that God is pleased with, that we do on earth, that brings him glory in heaven. True riches, first and foremost, are those souls that don't know Christ that come to him and greet us in heaven. And so using money and material things for kingdom purposes matters to God. And the most important true riches, again, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, um, God calls us all to faithfulness, whether a little bit, whether he entrusts us a little bit or with a lot. Just keep in mind, the more we have, the more is required of us. To whom much is given, much will be required. But the standard is straightforward for every one of us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's the standard. So Jesus says now in verse 13, he goes on, and he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve, you cannot serve God and money. So I think there's a, an honest self-assessment question we should all ask. Do I really love God more than I love the things of this world? I think there are times for all of us when, when the answer to that is, well, not really. Look at our own behaviors and the things that are important to us, the things that we place priorities on. But we should be asking that question. We're to love Jesus more than our houses. That's the standard. Um, more than our bank accounts or our friends or even our families. You remember the story of the, of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? We asked him, what must I do to be saved? And um, he says, I've kept all the commandments from my youth, but Jesus recognized that he had another problem. He loved his wealth. His master was his money. So Jesus told him, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me. And you remember what happened? This young ruler went away greatly saddened. He could not truly love God and love his material possessions. So he chose the possessions. What a tragedy. No one can truly love God and love material things. So what we find in verses 14 and 15 now is that loving money was exactly the Pharisees' problem who were standing there listening to Jesus tell this story to his disciples and to others who were standing around. Their problem was they loved money. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They really ridiculed Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they were just like the dishonest manager, they were lovers of money. But they were listening to him tell this story, and they ridiculed him. They mocked him for suggesting that those who believed in him and trusted in him should make friends by means of their money. They were all about keeping their money. Didn't Jesus understand that riches were a sign of God's approval? They had turned God's precepts completely upside down. As Jesus put it, they made, they made good evil and evil good. In a twisted, upside-down way, they thought that giving money away diminished wealth and therefore brought about God's disapproval. 
Well, they couldn't have been more wrong. So Jesus went on and he told them, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the Pharisees actually approved of the dishonest manager's creative thievery. They smiled at his shrewdness. They approved of the rich man's begrudging approval. And they completely missed the point of the story. Jesus is saying, don't be confused. God is not endorsing either the dishonest manager or his boss. That which is highly exalted among men, creative thieves, is an abomination in the sight of God. So he wanted, um, they had completely missed the point of the story. But Jesus was careful to be absolutely clear. So God entrusts riches, God entrusts material things, large and small, to us for two main reasons. The first is, as a test of our fitness to be entrusted with true riches. JP, is that, is that me up here? Feel free. I got it. Now I can't see my notes. <laughs> so he trusts he trust material things to us for two main reasons. The first is as a test of our fitness to be trusted with true riches. So true riches. Remember, he who is faithful in a very little thing will be faithful also in much. True riches are the things that matter to God and bring honor to him for all of eternity. So God gives us material things as a test of the little things that we might be found faithful and so be trusted with the true riches, greater things. He also entrusts us with riches as a means of blessing others in thoughtful, creative ways, astute ways, and especially in ways that help people to hear and to understand and to receive the good news of Christ, that Jesus paid the price of our sins, the truest of true riches, is one soul, welcomed into the kingdom of God, who trusts that Jesus died to pay the penalty for their sins. 1 Corinthians 5.21, one of my very favorite verses in all the Bible. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might know the righteousness of God in him. The greatest true riches. In God's economy, by the way, it's never how much we give or how much we use. It's always how and why we use our resources for God's eternal purpose. That's exactly how others might receive us into eternal, dwessing, um, eternal dwellings. I remember pretty much like yesterday hearing the gospel at junior high camp as a young boy. Um, it was... Uh, it was a change in my life that was profound. I went home and I realized that I was a sinner. I'd heard the gospel clearly for the first time. And I acknowledged my sin and I received Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. And it changed my life completely and forever. God gave me a passion for his word. I can think what it would be like if I hadn't come to faith in Christ. I can't even begin to imagine. I wouldn't be here today, that's for sure. My wife never would have married me. I know that. 
I never would have been blessed with our kids and our grandkids. I, would have, I wouldn't have liked the mark that would have been. But God in his grace intercepted me in my life at that moment and changed it forever. And how did that happen? Well, in part because my camp fees were paid by anonymous donors that chose to wisely invest in the kingdom of God. I don't know who they were, and they probably never knew I came to faith in Christ, but they made that investment before the Lord. You know, those are the kind of things I want to do. How about you? I'm going to make those kind of investments. So our use of unrighteous money must be focused on serving God, never to impress others for our own purposes. We can only serve one master. Wisely using our resources never means loving our resources. So let me just leave you with this. God calls us to be wholly true, wholly astute, intentional, creative in the use of that which he has entrusted to us in this world. I, I know a lady, by the way, who with a small group of widowed and singled women decided to do a bake sale to help pay off their church's mortgage. They decided to be creative and innovative and to be astute and to be sacrificial. And two years later, they never dreamed this, but two years later, somehow, they raised over $2 million. It's a true story. And that was a unique event. It was prompted by the Holy Spirit that led them to these, this, as creative servants of the Lord Jesus. They didn't have much, but God used them to produce a, a lot. And that money that that church was able to free up from their mortgage, they could use for missionary work. They could use to, to reach people for Christ. Be wholly shrewd. Be intentional. Secondly, be pure in motive. We're all called to be wise, astute, agents of God's purposes. We understand that. And we're never to do it for our own account or for others to pay attention to us. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus was clear. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And thirdly, be faithful in the little things, like money, and God will give you more than you could ever ask or think. God will grant to us those true riches, those things that matter for eternity. Luke 6, 38 comes to mind. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. God has promised us more than we could ever ask or think. When we are faithful to him, he will give to us. And when we, when we stand before him in heaven, the things that we thought were so important in this world that we hung, to, hung on to and we clung to, so desperately will seem so small and so insignificant. But God nonetheless calls us to be faithful in those small things so that when we get to heaven, we'll see the true riches and maybe even people there to greet us that came to faith in Christ, at least in part because of our faithfulness of those material things. Wouldn't that be, and won't that be an amazing day? Lord, thank you for our time together today. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that seems so difficult to understand, and suddenly it makes so much sense, Lord. You call us to be faithful before you. You call us to be astute managers of that which you've entrusted to us. 
And Lord, may it be true for each one of us that we would be found faithful in small things so that you might indeed, Lord, entrust to us the true riches of your kingdom. May that be true for each of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always wondered how Pastor Mike does all these things. He must have three hands. So, uh, See, God has called us here today to remember that the Lord Jesus actually died in our place, that he actually paid the penalty for our sins, that he actually cared and loved for us so much that he died in our place, that we who deserved the full wrath of God are redeemed before him, made holy and pure, that we might boldly approach the very throne of God. You think about that. We don't have to live in fear. We live as people who have been completely and totally liberated in Christ, that we might serve him fully and holy and completely, joyfully, as his, as his servants. So we come today to celebrate the very thing that makes that all possible. Jesus died in our place. He gave his body, his broken body for us. He shed his blood for us. So when we come, we celebrate that today. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you've received him as your Savior and Lord, we welcome you to join with us as we partake of these elements that remind us cause us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the Corinthians, for I received from the, from the Lord that was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Old Testament times, we know that the priests went into the holy place and they offered sacrifices of animals, goats and sheep and bulls for the temporary atonement of Israel's sins. But we're told in Hebrews chapter 9 that there's no longer a need for, a, for the sacrifice of those animals because Christ has died once for all, that his shed blood paid the penalty for our sins, for all who would believe, for all who would receive him. And so today we, again, remember that as God has called us to remember and we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross because through his shed blood, we are promised and are guaranteed eternal life in him. So Paul goes on to, with the Corinthians in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, remember it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our gracious Lord, we thank you once again for the broken body of our Lord Jesus, for his shed blood, for he became the penalty for our sins, enabled all who would choose to believe in him, to trust in him, to come before you boldly and to live in your presence, confident, Lord, that you've granted to us eternal life. Lord, we commit our lives anew to you. We commit our resources anew to you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as you're, if you're able as we sing the last song together.
So if uh, you're not totally connected at Grace Church, we want to really encourage you to get connected in every way you can. If you're not part of a home group especially, uh, go to our website, graceorange.org, and find out what's happening here at Grace Church. Lots of things, including home groups, and uh, we'd love to get to know you better. So as we leave today, I take you to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, where Paul prays this beautiful prayer, and he ends with this doc, doxology that says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this worship service today. We're so glad you took the time to be with us as we sang our hearts out, as we prayed dependently, and as we heard the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. If you can join us in person, we'd love to have you. We meet at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. every Sunday. For more information, you can go to graceorange.org. Thanks so much, and God bless you.